Welcome to the first ever podcast. I'm your host, Jeremy Balm. This is episode 11, which means I made it past 10 episodes and I'm still doing it. So that means I'm committed. So thank you so much to those who have been sticking with me and listening to each one of these episodes. It really does mean a lot. I'm going to keep doing it, I promise. So here we are, episode 11. Thank you for being here. My guest today is Alex Pardee. He's an incredible artist and illustrator who's dipped his artistic toe into so many different kinds of art forms from comics to graffiti to album art to movie making and so much more. We're going to get into all of these different things. It's a really, really inspiring conversation. I'm thankful to Alex for giving me some of his time. Uh, He's wonderful. I've had the pleasure of knowing him for eight years, and I learned so much about him today that, uh, that I really didn't know. So I'm thankful to him for all these different things. This is the first ever podcast. This is my conversation with Alex Pardee. Thank you for being here. I hope you enjoy. Alex, thank you. Appreciate it. You're, <laughs> this is this is this is nice for for those listening. This is an att- this is a, a a second attempt. We had some we had some issues, but uh, we're gonna. I just cried gonna do a this. lot. The first one is what it is. <laughs> <laughs> we tried to edit out uh, all my tears, and you're just like, let's just do this again. Yeah. No. Yeah. Yeah. Um, but seriously, yeah. Thank you for your time. Um, yeah. So yeah, this you know shows about first experiences. So we could uh, we could start from uh, from the very beginning. So um, do you remember what your first experiences were with art as a as just a young person as a kid? Yeah, I I actually do. Um, it's I think that it it uh, it stemmed from a a weird coincidence of collecting and cutting out. Uh, comic like comic strips in the newspaper and um what i remember i was probably in second grade maybe my sister who's two years older than i um and i think that this is going to come across as a little i mean i i remember talking to you about this briefly before and it made me sound really kind of like a little bit more hillbilly than i thought that i grew up at but <laughs> around second grade my sister and i would go down to this like there was like a canal slash swamp uh, creek behind this church where I grew up in Antioch, California. And we would go down there and like catch crawdads. <laughs> and then when we were done catching crawdads, which I don't even know what we did with the crawdads. I'm sure we caught them and then like put them in our parents' backyard or something. <laughs> who, who knows what we did with them. But on the way out from the swamp, we like, at one point we needed newspaper for some reason, I guess we were wrapping them up or who knows? I don't know what we were doing. But we dove in this like recycle bin and we noticed that there was all these newspapers that had basically free funny comics in them. So we were like, oh, my God, this is like gold. Like my parents pay for this kind of stuff and we just get to read it once a day and then they throw it out. Like, let's collect these. So we like started collecting the newspaper comics and making like a scrapbook out of them. And I can't remember if my sister participated in this or not, but I know I was really compelled to try to like redraw them for some reason um i think that that's probably like my earliest earliest art memory which what were they like known comic strips was it like uh was it was it like garfield or like uh or what's what's the dog what's the, what's the <laughs> marmaduke um marmaduke yeah was it like those <laughs> yeah, kind of no, comics? No, it was it was definitely the the known comics i mean at the time i don't even think i had a grasp on what nationwide comics would be but it was it was garfield it was hagar the horrible it was bc it was geech it was marmaduke family circle circus um you know whatever you can there was there was a couple you know what what is actually funny is uh 
what I still think to this day, one of my biggest artistic inspirations and influences, and not not even just artistic, but I think general in life, was Gary Larson's The Far Side comic strip. Oh, right. Sure. Yeah. yeah. I feel I feel like those were just like handed out to kids in our age group or something like that. Like whenever they would have um like book fairs at school right. or something like that. Like that was always the thing that I think most most young kids gravitated towards as opposed to like the actual literature. Yeah. Yeah. And it, and it was cool because like, I, I still even remember even being so young, I remember how like clever it was and how it kind of like forced this, like me to look at the world in a slightly different way, even when I was younger. Right. Yeah. It was like a, it was almost like Dilbert, but for, for like kids who eventually are going to find sci-fi. Yeah, it was just so cool because it was like they were there was like uh, Gary Larson was a scientist and he just decided one day to start becoming a comics, a comic strip artist. So his his observations were based all on science. And it was so cool to like have this other perspective of like, I never thought about what it'd be to be like a worm. (laughs) Wow, I didn't realize that. That's interesting. I had no idea what that what that guy's backstory is. Is he still alive? Probably not. He is still alive. He's pretty recluse, though. I think uh, I think he 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 was from the Bay Area, I believe, um, because I remember my parents taking me to like a big Gary Larson retrospective in San Francisco MoMA years ago. Um, But uh, it was uh, he he kind of became recluse and just kind of, I think, moved up to Portland or something and just lives in the woods. There, there's a really funny. I don't know if you've ever seen that show documentary now, the Bill Hader and, and oh yeah, yeah, yeah great. and uh, Seth Seth Myers. It's a, uh, it's great, but there's a really funny mockumentary episode uh, about Fred Armisen is obsessed with Gary with finding Gary Larson, and it's really <laughs> funny. <laughs> yeah, that must be. I think I only watched part of the first season. I don't know if I got further than that. Uh, I'm gonna look that episode up. That sounds hilarious. It's pretty. Um, <laughs> did uh so. Do you remember if your parents like caught you, not caught you, that sounds like you're doing something wrong necessarily, but like watched you start drawing these things? And did they, did they, did they start to sort of like try to push you in the direction of making art as a young person? Um, I, they, my, my parents were definitely creative. They never did. I don't want to say they, they didn't do anything creative, but my parents are, were, uh, my whole family actually is very intellectual and comes from a more literary background. My my father uh, worked at the library for 40 years and my mom was a school teacher. And so they were, they were very like, you know, literary and they didn't, they didn't condemn me being more creative and more drawing and stuff, but they're also, I don't think there was a lot of encouragement only because in the, this is in the mid eighties and, you know, early nineties later on, like there wasn't really that much potential for, your child wanting to be an, an artist, <laughs> you know? No, that, yeah, that. As, at least in comparison to now, I would imagine it's like, it's like your kid wanting to be an actor or something. You're like, yeah, but you know, <laughs> yeah, please have several backup plans. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. But they were, but they were never not, not supportive. You know, they were, they were concerned. I think, I think that was kind of like a running, a running thing jumping forward. They, they were always kind of concerned but I don't think that they ever, they ever said like, no, you absolutely can't do that. You know, they were like, you should have a job. You should stay in school. You should do this. Maybe like, you know, my mom would have that, that 
normal mom thing of like, well, why can't you just try to be a doctor or a businessman, you know, or something? And like, and it's like, it's not that easy, you know, but yeah, yeah, yeah. No, I understand that. What did your mom teach? Uh, she taught everything. Well, she basically taught elementary school, but it was kind of all grades. She was a substitute teacher for a while until she got her master's. And then she went on to teach first, second, third grade. Did you ever have to deal with her being your teacher in school or did you avoid that? Uh, she was a substitute teacher of mine in third and fourth grade, I believe. Yeah. How did that feel as a kid? Was that, is that like a, a nervous thing or was it like, I can get away with anything now? Or do you, do you remember I, what you were thinking? <laughs> I think that I, I definitely think it was, I can get away with everything kind of thing, but I wasn't really ever that mischievous. Like I remember I, I, school in general was kind of just like a blur to me as far as like, I don't really remember too much about it. I just kind of remember floating through it and not kind of being under the radar. Did your parents push you towards any sort of like art schools or anything like that? Or did it just become like a, like an after school activity for you to be working on, on drawing and things like that? Yeah. I mean, it, drawing actually didn't become a part of my life until later on. Um, I mean, I always kind of did, subtly draw I like I think like there was there was a point in my late in, in third grade specifically like I uh it, I got I absorbed all these things that ended up sticking with me for the rest of my life and within third grade I got kind of bombarded I discovered garbage pail kids comic books skateboard graphics and like horror movies you know and like <laughs> all kind of at once and I was just like yeah oh my god this is amazing like this is everything I want in my life um and so like th- those kind of stuck with me but I didn't I didn't emulate them and I didn't and I did some doodle like I would like draw dumb caricatures of my friends or like I would like try to make my own versions of like far side comics I have some really old drawings that are really silly that are just like look like farsight drawings and stuff um but i didn't really take it seriously and, it, and so you know my, my parents weren't like you should give all this up and go to art school because i don't think they really even knew that i liked art and i don't think i knew that i liked art at that point too um it wasn't until when i was about 14 through 15 i was like um i was diagnosed with with severe anxiety disorder and depression and i ended up uh, because at the time they didn't just like automatically prescribe your child Prozac or Zoloft or whatever. Those weren't even around. They put me in a hospital to kind of dysregulate medication and try to get something that would work for me. So I was in a mental hospital for a while and, um, it was in that hospital that, you know, it, it was recommended therapy to like try all these different things to take my mind off of just like feeling terrible. And it was like, try playing basketball, try making these like leather crafts, try sculpting, try, you know, reading. And like nothing worked except drawing when I would draw. And so it was at that moment where I was just like, okay, I don't really care about doing this. I don't know what I could do with this for a living. I don't know whatever, but all I know is that like the act of drawing and creating makes me, takes my mind off of feeling sick. So I'm just going to do this until further notice. Right. So that was, that was kind of the catalyst of it. Got it. How long were you in the hospital? Only for about four or five weeks, I think. Okay. Got it. Was that which, like I mean, which as a child, like, it's funny. Cause I, I remember the first time that I kind of talked about this as an adult in an interview or something, I remember my parents heard it. And my recollection was that I was in there for like an entire summer. 
You know, like, like I was in there for like months and my parents were like, you were in there for like 40 days, which, you know, like at the time it felt like, it felt like an eternity, but well, yeah, uh, I know. mean, as a kid, as a kid, summer vacation feels pretty, pretty long until like the last week. And then it's like, Oh yeah. my God, it's already over. But like, yeah, I mean, time is so different when you're young. Yeah. Um, and also in, in hindsight too, like I, at the time, like I, I didn't understand why my parents put me in there or why I couldn't just work like I just I, I was really resentful but then as I kind of got older I, I I realized that like you know there was there was absolutely it was it was a necessity and at the time there was nothing else like it was in in my best interest to kind of get help so uh I'm, I'm appreciative of it sure uh was your time in, was your time in there like terrifying or or did you did you uh, did you have, did you end up like making friends in there or was, do you, do you have like many thoughts or, or not even thoughts? With the oh, other no, yeah, it, it was time? weird. I mean, it, it, parts of it were miserable. Parts of it were scary. Like it was, it wasn't like, a it was just Kaiser, but it was a Kaiser inpatient patient, uh, facility where they did have, you know, troubled kids mixed, mixed with troubled adults. And so there, there's a couple of weird things. Like I think like the first, the first roommate they put me with was like an older guy who couldn't stand light. So I was in the dark most of the time. Oh my gosh. And, and so I had to like, I, I had to finally stand up for myself and say, I can't be in there. It's just like, it's driving me crazy. So they, they put me in with, a, with another uh, roommate who was another older guy, but he was like really, really sweet and really nice. And I, and I saw no problems with him. And then one morning or one night at like three in the morning, uh, I like woke up to him, like sitting on the foot of my bed and telling me that the reason he's in there is because he tried to kill Jesus in the middle of a cornfield. Oh and like, my God. And, and, and it was in the middle of the night and I was alone with this guy. And I was all of a sudden just like super terrified, but, uh, uh, aside from that, <laughs> like, um, I made, I definitely made friends in there. There was a lot of people in there, my age, it, it's, it was, it, you know, I don't know if you've ever seen, uh, like, uh, nightmare before nightmare, <laughs> nightmare on Elm street three, like uh, dream, dream warriors. warriors. Oh yeah, yeah. It was like, there was definitely like one person from every kind of like group, you know, you had like, you had like the punk rock guy that would offer to give you tattoos made out of a big pen and a little Walkman motor. And you'd have like the anorexic girl and you'd have this, like, it was, it was very bizarre, but everyone was sweet. It was like the, uh, the breakfast club, but for, yeah, but for that situation. Yeah. I yeah. <laughs> oh man. So, uh, we can circle back to even just horror movies. Do you remember, uh, do you remember the first horror movie you saw that that left an impression on you that that opened up your mind to all of that? I do. It was it was Creepshow. Well, it was it was both Creepshow and Poltergeist, and I saw them the same night. Uh, my sister, my sister who who's a couple of years older than me, had a slumber party at her house, and this was I think eighty four or something like that, eighty four, eighty five, and my parents had rented a v- VHS player, and we uh, <laughs> my. I wasn't supposed to be downstairs to with there, but I like walked down and got a glass of water or whatever and saw that they were watching creep show. And I like never left the kitchen. I just like stayed there and stood and stared at it. And I was just like, this is the coolest thing I've ever seen. Like, this is amazing. And, um, and then kind of like the next day, my parents, instead of like condemning me for watching anything, cause they just kind of sat me down and were like, Hey, you know, that's a movie, right? And I'm like, yeah. And they were like, okay, cool. And you like it? And I was like, yeah. And they were like, okay, cool. Then you're fine. And then my yeah. dad actually went to back to the library and came home within a couple of days of like, they had made like a creep show, uh, comic book adaptation book. And, uh, that 
Stephen King had written and Bernie Wrightson had illustrated. And I, I was just like, oh my God, really? This is so cool. And like that, so like that combination, you know, I was, I was nine years old at the time was amazing to see. Yeah, no, that's awesome. Do you, uh, were you, were you much into comic books or did you just kind of lean into like more of the, like, like almost like Mad Magazine-y type stuff, like the more uh, slapsticky, satirical sort of, uh, or even just like horror magazines and things like that? Or were you into actual comic books too? I, I was, I was half into comics. Like I was aware of comics. Like I really liked Spider-Man's kind of rogues gallery of weird stuff. Like I would buy, I would buy comics like when I saw them. I wasn't like a super, super big collector as a kid. I was more into like Fangoria and Mad Magazine. Like those are the magazines that I grew up on. Um, and it wasn't until kind of, uh, flash forward a little bit after I get out of the hospital and I like, am, I've kind of alienated any past that I've had. I was like embarrassed of feeling sick all the time. So I kind of like didn't have any friends anymore. I then got transferred to a new school. So I was alone for, you know, the first couple of years of high school. So it was during that time where I kind of rediscovered comic books and along with, you know, horror movies and stuff. So it wasn't until like early freshman sophomore year that i was like fully into comics okay and what and since you're from the bay where in the bay were you going to high school uh i went so i I grew up in antioch but i actually went to high school in walnut creek california at los lomas okay got it got it so i was i was curious when you were doing the graffiti did you ever have any uh any like brushes with the law did you did did you did, uh, did you ever get arrested or ticketed or anything yeah there was a few times um there's obviously a lot of times where you're just kind of told Hey, you can't do that here. Get away. But there was a couple times where we actually did get detained. Um, ma- mainly the, po- the cops job in San Francisco. I painted a lot in San Francisco and Oakland and the jobs of the cops out there are basically just to like steal all your stuff and mm-hmm. move along the way. <laughs> so, you know, there'd be multiple times we'd get our cars searched and they would take stuff and take our paint and take our, cds which was always weird and that my friends weird. always had weed so they'd take the weed and then and then they would get it was always funny because this happened multiple times they would write up like a, a receipt and they would be like we just have to take this stuff you can go get it back at the precinct and then they would write down like a fake receipt for a fake precinct and you would go there and they'd go we don't have this stuff oh my god <laughs> wow jesus um so at so at that point like um i know you've done stuff with juxtapose magazine was that a magazine that you were you were heavily influenced by at the time because that's like a if if i'm correct is it's very much like a like a graffiti hip-hop sort of magazine right um no it actually never really was um there's now that now that some uh that graffiti artists have kind of transcended into the more art world it, it definitely crosses over but uh, juxtapose was, it was a, a really big influence on me in the late, I mean, it still is. Yeah. But like when it first came out in like the late nineties, um, it was, it was considered a lowbrow magazine. So it was started by Robert Williams and it, it had, you know, uh, artists like Robert Williams and Robert Crumb and, and kind of, uh, X and O and, and these, these old surreal lowbrow artists. And, um, and then it kind of did kind of transcend into more graffiti stuff but it, it was juxta i love juxtapose so being um being able to kind of like you know flash forward 10 years after i discovered them being able to like curate multiple issues of the magazine and, and be featured in it and stuff was really cool so you obviously 
you you found that art became a source for for just overall mental health for you. You got into you got really into graffiti. What's the next move that happened to where you started to sort of build some sort of a career with art? Like, was it was it through graffiti or was it through illustration or was it through the comics that you started to make? Yeah, it was every step of the way to where where I've been now has been, I think, has been uh, the catalyst was I need to do something to make myself feel better. And so there uh, probably not the smartest move to not have a plan, but I never had a plan. I always just was like, this is what I need to do right now to feel better. And so graffiti was made, made me feel better at the time. And then, and then it switched over to, um, I did make this decision where I was like, I want to be, I want to like be a comic book artist. That's what I want to do. So I sent out a bunch of, um, samples to comic book stuff, trying to get, uh, jobs through different companies and i just kept getting rejection after letter after rejection letter and rightfully so because what i was drawing was not traditional comic book work i just didn't know what else other outlets to use my art for and um and so i was like you know what like i am just gonna like if i can't if i can't be with them i'm just gonna do it myself so i started a publishing company in the mid 90s just to like when I say publishing company, I meant I I made like I registered a name that had <laughs> right. nothing to do with anything. Yeah, it was just like I felt that like I didn't even know self publishing was a thing. So I was like, I need a publishing company to publish my own dumb comics that no one's <laughs> going to ever see. And so uh, I did that, and that made me feel better in like the late nineties. And so I was doing that, and just kind of like they were zines, but in my mind they were comics, and. Uh, and then from that, I was like, well, how am I going to promote this? I need to like, I need to sell t-shirts, I guess, because that'll help me raise money to print these comics that I'm giving away for free. So I learned how to like make t-shirts and I got a job at a, at a t-shirt screen printing company just to like figure, figure out how to do it. And then that way my friend and I can go in there after hours and like use the equipment. And then I was like, well, how am I going to sell these things? Oh, I need to figure out how to make a website. So then I pivoted to like learning HTML and trying to figure out how to make a website. And it was all like, like a means to like, how can I help getting my art out there while making myself feel better and distracted? And so it was just these little pockets of things that one led to the next. So it was like graffiti led to this like self-publishing DIY aspect of these comics that led to apparel design, that led to website design, that led to basically e-commerce. And then that's, you know, that kind of led to like the more I can spread my art around the internet at the time, because the, the internet was another thing that was just private. And I loved, I was like, I could be anonymous. I could share my art. I could do whatever. All these things are based off of having no self-esteem. <laughs> <laughs> I feel like all great art is should be based on having no self-esteem. I feel like, you know what I'm saying? I, I, I would say like, if, uh, if, if you don't have, uh, any sort of, um, you know, complex about, uh, about what you're doing, I, I just don't trust you. You know, if you think you're, if, if you think you're just this shit right out the gate, then just like, I'm, I have no interest. I just, I have, if you don't have imposter syndrome, get, get the hell out of here. Um, oh my God. That imposter syndrome. I don't know if it ever goes away with you, but it doesn't with me. Oh, certainly not. Certainly not. Um, so do you remember the first thing that connected where, where your name became a part of something bigger? Um, like it was, cause I know it, it's probably down the line a little bit. I mean, I know you did a bunch of, uh, 
album artwork that that got you a lot of attention but was that like the first thing that sort of started to work or or what was it yeah so that was so i I, in my little bubble this was still internet days of you know um guest books and message boards and forums and and aol and stuff this is even i guess like maybe the early early stages of myspace but it i made like a little bit of a ripple in by going to comic book conventions and kind of like having uh, just being consistent. Like I was putting, I was self-publishing, you know, a, a new book every six months and, and trying to figure it out and trying to gain popularity there. And I was selling books and, and the first, the first kind of splash that I made uh, it, it not, not in comparison to like, you know, selling millions of records, but sure. like I, I made this book called bunny with in about 2001. And uh, it was just this silly little comic that, that had a, du- a bunch of one panel comics that were different iterations of this one bunny, this cute little innocent bunny with something else. And it's, it's the dumbest idea, but I got hung up on it and it's, you know, like I would draw like bunny with herpes or bunny with giant head or bunny with this. And it, they just made me laugh. So it was another one of those therapeutical things that I was like, I just need to do this. And then I collected it all into a book and I went to Comic-Con around one of my first earliest comic cons around 2000 or 2001 and i ended up bringing like you know 500 copies to the 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 convention thinking that i would sell 20 or 30 and i ended up selling all 500 of them by the end of the by saturday so on sunday i had to like i it was so surreal to me because like uh that was the time at comic-con where still like celebrities would roam the floor so i had it, it was just so weird that i kept having these people come up that i had to tell them no like i had like keenan ivory wayans came up and was like i heard you have a cool bunny with bunny book let me see it and i was like it sold out keenan ivory wayans i'm sorry you know like <laughs> and, and like rob zombie came up and, and was like hey what's this weird bunny book people are talking about i was like i, I don't have it rob zombie but i'll take a picture with you you know like, it was oh so my weird. god um yeah so that was kind of like the first thing and then um in my mind, so this is kind of jumping around a little bit, and I apologize. I'm kind of frantic thinking about all these experiences. But uh, uh, around that same time, one of my favorite, one of the most inspirational artists and comic book illustrators to me is this, is a creator named Sam Keith. And he created a comic book called The Max. And The Max was something, was a comic book that it, it hit me so hard immediately when I came out of the hospital because it was disguised as a superhero comic, but when you read it, it was just like filled with like teenagers going battling depression and having traumatic past and like dealing with homelessness and like all this like weird metaphysical spirit animal stuff that I was just like, this is so insane. And the art was just like a mess. It was just like some of it was really clean, some of it looked like a kid drew it. Like it was, it was very emotional and and like I loved it. So Sam Keith was my favorite artist of all time. And at the following convention after the bunny with year, um, I, this, I, I had written, okay, wait, sorry. I'm, I'm jumping around a little bit. When I was, when I first started doing my, my self-publishing comic book stuff before bunny with, uh, I had sent out a few promotional copies to people that I really liked along with letters that were just like, I don't know why I'm giving you this, but I love you. And you're were like, I basically just wrote fan mail 
And one of the things that I wrote was I wrote to Sam Keith and I sent him a mail back when you could actually send mail to newsletters at the end of the comic books or whatever. Um, and, and six months or so later, I get this postcard in the mail and it, and it says, and I still remember it to this day. It says, uh, dear Alex, thank you for the amazing comic book. It's really unique and creative. Unfortunately, I don't have any work to offer, but it doesn't look like you're interested in doing any typical comic work anyways. Good luck in the future. Your friend, Sam. And it was from Sam Keith. And I was just like, Holy shit. Oh my God, this is cool. And I still have the postcard. Like I'm never getting rid of it. Um, and so that was kind of like a very big kind of catalyst for me to go, okay, I'm going to keep going. This is what I'm going to do. And so, yeah. So a couple of years later, the year after the bunny with thing, I went to comic con again and I was just sitting in my booth. Didn't really have anything too flashy kind of just the regular kind of thing was sketching for people. And this guy comes up and he's like, Hey, are you Alex? And I was like, yeah. And he's like, hi, Sam Keith. And I was like, what? And it was, oh and it was so, he's like, yeah, I heard you were here. So I wanted to come say hi. And I was just like, my brain was fried and I have no idea what I said. I don't even think I stood up to shake his hand. I was just like, okay, bye, you know, whatever. But he was like, he was like, uh, we we kind of had small talk and he was like, oh, where are you based out of? And I was like, oh, I, I live in Sacramento. I, at the time I lived in Sacramento. And he was like, oh, I live in Sacramento. We should, we should connect and, and work on something together. And I was like, what? And it was so bizarre. Oh my God. And so that, um, at that, from that point on, I basically became friends with Sam. Like we formed a friendship and, and all of a sudden he was calling me up and, and asking me for, for advice. I'm like, Hey, this panel that I'm doing in the Hulk, like, do you think it should focus on the eye and then pan out? Or what do you like, let me send it to you and let me know what you think. And I was just like, this is so weird. Um, but, uh, but we formed a really good friendship and, and we were both for, for better sake of words, we were both mutual fans of each other. And eventually, uh, in 2003, we started, we worked on a comic book together. So we, we created and worked on a comic book called Ojo that, we worked on together. So that to me was the first, like, this is, this is it. Like I, it was, it wasn't a comic book that paid anything. It was through Oni press, which is creator based. So they don't, they pay for publishing and kind of front you the public, the printing cost, but you don't make any money on it. You just allowed to, to keep your property. So it wasn't a paid gig, but it was like, this is it. I'm, I'm huge. I'm big time now. Right. Like, no, that's incredible. That's, that's, those are my favorite kind of stories. That's the coolest thing ever. So, so then, you know, we, we can jump into the two thousands at, at how did, uh, you mixing with art, like, uh, with, with musicians, how did that come to be? I mean, I know, I know you're a big hip hop guy and <clears throat> you've done records for cage and Aesop rock and Deltron 3030 and things like that. But like, I think the thing that I remember you being connected to so much was that you, the, that for, or the second album for the use. Okay. How did that come your way? Yeah. So that, so that actually, uh, coincides with the Sam Keith story, which is, oh, really? which is okay. funny because here I was like, I've made it. I'm a comic book artist. I'm working on this book with Sam Keith and during issue two of Sam. So flashing back a little bit, the way that the only way that I made money doing art was by doing band flyers and like uh, from like around 99 when I lived in Sacramento till about 2004, I would do pretty much like if you had a band and you wanted a flyer, give me 50 bucks and I'll do it. 
right? And so that was like the only way I would make money. I was still kind of working, like selling my comics and trying to sell shirts, but any extra income was was like, I'll draw your band flyer. And so um, it, it was anywhere from like some hardcore bands to hip, local hip, all, all local band stuff. And then, so then I got this job doing this comic book thing and I was like, you know what? I could put the band art behind me. I'm comic book now. This is cool. And then um, it, during issue two, working on issue two of our comic with Sam, um, I got this email from Warner Brothers, Warner Brothers Records, and uh, which is separate from Warner Brothers. But I learned that and that's very important. <laughs> right. Um, yeah. Warner Brothers Records sent me this email and said, hey, uh, I ha- we have a band called The Used that's really interested in you working on them with them. And I had heard of The Used. Uh, I wasn't a hundred percent into them, but I definitely had heard of them. And I was like, Warner brothers records this is crazy. And I was like, okay, cool. Like how, what, what do you guys need? Like you want a flyer? Like I didn't really know. And they were like, well, they were like, well, why don't we fly you down tomorrow to meet the band? And you guys can talk about it. And I was like, fly me down. Like I had been in like one airplane in my whole life by that point. And I was just like, all right, let's do it. So I, I flew down to Burbank the next day. Um, got taken into a car over to, to uh, John Feldman's house, who was producing the band at the time and uh, went there. And there was this, just this insane team of like everybody from Warner brothers, the whole band, whatever. And I walked in and I was just like, this is so insane. And they were like, we want you to, to basically art direct this whole album. We have this big album coming out and we want you to do it. And I was just like, okay, cool. You know, and and like, and they were like, "Okay, you can go back home now." And I was like, "What?" And then they flew me back home, and like within the same day, I went there, basically got a job that I didn't know would turn into a six-year job, which is great. But like, got a job, and then went back home, and I was like, "Okay, I have a job." And now this was the hardest thing for me to do. But I felt that it was very important for me to do at the time is I basically had to quit the book that Sam and I were doing. So, oh, wow. So I went from, you know, within a month of being like, I got my dream job that doesn't pay me anything to, oh, wow, I just got hired for like a career making job. That's that I, I didn't know. I, so it was like one of those things where like I didn't know what to do. And it was a very hard decision for me to make, as you can imagine, but I just like had to sit down with Sam and Sam, like a hundred percent just like backed me. And he was like, he's like, honestly, like, I don't think you're a comic book guy. He's like, you're an illustrator and you're a creator and you're a designer. Like, I think you should go for it and we'll figure this out. And I was like, okay, I'm going to do it. <laughs> and so he was very supportive. Um, I, I, I had to quit the book uh, and I, just started working with the used. Wow. That's yeah. That's, that's super. And how was that? How was that experience for you? Cause I mean, that's such a different ball game because not only are you dealing with whatever the band's vision is and hopefully the band is, you know, easy, to, easy enough to deal with, but then you're also dealing with, uh, just a record label in general where there's, you know, usually a lot of eyes on it and a lot of opinions getting thrown at you and the management. So all those different things, like how was that for you for that ex- first experience? It was, uh, it, it was, I mean, the, the band was great. The band has always been great. The band are still good friends of mine. They're amazing, amazing dudes. Uh, and once again, this kind of harks back to what I was saying about like diving into something without researching it can 
it, it can be very important. It also, it's a little bit, <laughs> it's a little bit weird. Like I went into this not knowing anything about the corporate side of music, about any kind of like dealing with art directors, dealing with, you know, band managers and this and that. So I went into it as just being like, okay, they want to hire me. I can do that. Um, and it was, it was, it was pretty rough to be honest because I didn't know how to say no, um, in the beginning. So that, that first album that we worked on, like, I thought that my role was to like make everybody happy, right? Like it was just like, I got hired to do this, what you want. Okay. What is your vision? I'm going to do it. And when you're working with a band that has four distinctively different personalities, they all wanted something different. And so I would end up creating something that catered to each one of them separately. And then those are the ones that they want. Like, so it, it was a long process of like, I think before we ended up on the final, the final first album cover that you see, I submitted something like 40 album covers over the course of like six months. Right. Like, and, and at that time it was like, I kept making presentations and then any note that I would get, whether it was from the label being like, Oh, I think this is concerning, even though, Bert, the singer wants this. We, we don't want that. And I go, okay, what do you want? And then I would do what the label wants. And then the band didn't want that and this and that. So it was like, it drove me crazy, but, um, but I learned a lot and, and the end result I was very happy with. And I kind of, that is a moment where I did get the confidence by the end of that, of being like, you know what, they just need to be told what, what I'm doing. So at what point, cause I know you did uh, like a, a short, uh, a short run of an animation series for Warner Brothers. Where is that falling in with, with this? Because that was like mid to early two thousands. The used stuff was like what two thousand five. The, the used the, the first album that I did with the used. Technically, I started working on it in the end of two thousand three. It came out September two thousand four, and then I stayed on with them till about two thousand nine, two thousand or two thousand ten almost. Um, okay. But during, so, uh, the Warner brothers animated series is that's a part of this roller coaster ride that we hate, but, okay. <laughs> but not, I, I don't, I don't hate it in hindsight. Uh, yeah, but I, I got over being bitter about it, but just, just to give you like a really quick rundown of it is their, uh, the used third album lies for the liars. Um, I was completely, they gave me free reign on that, which was awesome. Like I had kind of learned of like, like at this time I had done some DVD stuff with them, some music video stuff, all their merch. I was very good friends with all of them. And they were just like, okay, cool. So for this time we want to hire you again. And I was like, okay, let me do the whole thing. And so, uh, you know, trying to be kind of short about it. I basically kind of, as a world building fan, I wanted to create this world that the used music could be both uh, live within and this world is inspired by this used, you know, music and stuff. So I created this kind of world and these characters, uh, and they were really bizarre and we wanted to kind of use those. It was almost like a weird, I don't know, emotional version of like Eddie from Iron Maiden, you know, but like I wanted to, to create not just Eddie, I wanted to actually have this whole world and this whole story. So I actually took took it upon myself to, while I was working with the used on this album to build a MySpace profile for this character, his name was Chatham. And 
this was when MySpace was pretty popping. <laughs> like MySpace was right, like, right, yeah, everybody's yeah, yeah. on MySpace. And I used this MySpace account as both, once again, we're going back into therapy. I used it as these like therapeutical stream of consciousness diary entries in the voice of this character trying to build up a story in a world of this character that would coincide with once we did launch the used album, you'd be like, oh, that MySpace page is connected with this. And oh, that's cool. It's all this weird thing. So it was kind of like the first like augmented reality viral marketing blog thing that we tied to tie into this thing. It was a, it was a uh, ambitious project on my end. Um, and But ultimately, during that process, we got to work with these effects companies and build these big rubber mask characters. And I got to actually physically bring my characters to life, which was awesome. Um, and so then after that album came out, I still wanted to continue. Like our goal was like, okay, these are your characters now let's keep marketing them. Let's keep continuing. You have merchandise. We can make toys. We can make whatever. And they were just like, oh, yeah, yeah, that's cool. But the, the the label wasn't supportive of it because they didn't know what to do with it. And so it was kind of me just kind of pushing it. So I actually approached Warner Brothers Television at the time, which also I didn't know this, was separate from Warner Brothers Records. Right, yeah. All, it's so strange how it's all just completely yeah. different entities. It has nothing to do with it, up. but I just thought they were connected. So I was like, hey. Yeah, yeah. We know for sure. I, I, I grew up in Burbank. <laughs> like, that's my hometown. So, like, living within it, you know, you learn all that stuff at a weird age where you're just like, wait, so why would they all be called this if they're not actually talking to each other? Right. It's so strange. It's very bizarre. It's so strange. Yeah. And, and so uh, I kind of, like, was in talks with uh, Warner Brothers Television about turning this character into an anime into a actually what i pitched it as was a live action series okay um I, because we had all these rubber masks and i wanted to like make some kind of dark crystal thing that would basically be a series of used videos that would be you know this cool world um and they weren't they weren't interested in it which is fine but then uh they they ended up contacting me with they had a, a sister company that I won't name that ended up approaching me about doing the series as an animated thing. And so I was like, okay, that could work. Like, and then they basically sold me on this idea of doing it, uh, using video game technology to create basically a, a CGI animated series. And I was like, okay, cool. Like, let's do it. And, um, yeah, long story short, that was three years of my time, uh, I never, never got paid. They continuously cut the budget for us doing it. They eventually, uh, by the end of the project, I basically got removed from the project before it was released. And then they pretty much shelved the project and ended up releasing it on like a unfinished on like Xbox Live, I think. Whoa, weird. So you, you can see That's all of them weird. on YouTube. It's called Chatham. You can, I think you can watch them all on YouTube, but, uh, it's a very different product project than what it ended up starting. But I did, once again, three years of grinding and learning something that I knew nothing about going into was like, I got some knowledge. No, for sure. I mean, that, I was thinking about that when I was, when I was you know, kind of like jotting down things to talk to you about. Because, you know, as you and I have been friends, we've discussed plenty of times about, you know, you going into pitch meetings for, you know, whether it's for, for this company or that company. 
And I'm wondering if if you look at that Chatham situation as, you know, uh, a big reference point on how to approach things, because I have to imagine pitching things is, you know, especially the first couple of times you're doing it, it's it's probably really, you know, difficult and uncomfortable or the confidence there is tough because you're talking to a, you know, boardroom of people that or even one or two people that, you know, you have to try to impress because they're hearing this shit all day. There's so much about your career and I, and, you know, I don't want to take up, uh, take up too much time here, but I, I do, I do want to get into how did you connect with Zack Snyder? Cause, uh, you know, you worked on the movie Sucker Punch and how did that come your way? Cause that seems like another big jump. In your <laughs> yeah. Career. That was, that was the most, that was the biggest project I've worked on still to this day. Um, yeah, that actually was, I'd say the best part of the Chatham animation series that I did. And the, the reason why that is, is because our production offices were on the Warner Brothers lot and they happened to be on the floor above Zack Snyder's production offices. So uh, unrelated, separately, I was a huge fan of, of the Dawn of the Dead remake. Absolutely loved it. I still think it has like the best opening scene in any horror Oh, it's so movie good. And oh, it's so good. It's great. And, uh, and then also was a huge fan of the Watchmen comic. So I was very excited to see the Watchmen come out in the theater in any, any point of, from any filmmaker. You know, at one point it was Darren Aronofsky and then it was Terry Gilliam and then it was Zack Snyder. And I was like, whoever's going to do it. I just want to watch it. Um, right. And so while Zack was working on Watchmen at Warner Brothers, I was working on Chatham above him. And for the New York Comic-Con, I had done a Watchmen limited edition print that was released at New York Comic Con and and sold out. And not having no relation to Zach at all, I randomly got a call from Zach's producer like the following week that said, hey, we just saw your Watchmen print that you did at New York. Do you have any left? It's Zach's birthday and I would love to get him one for his birthday. And I was like, oh. I don't have any left, but, uh, and then this is where my fanboyness comes in and where mm. I don't, every job that I've ever gotten has been from writing fan mail or doing some fan fanboying stuff. So right. I was like, you know what? I don't have a print, but I could drive home. Cause I was in LA at the time. I was like, I could drive home, get the original painting come back and give it to you guys to give to Zach for his birthday. If you want, I could give you the original painting. And they were like, Oh my God, that would be amazing. So I basically, uh, became friends and mutual fans that way. So it was like, they gave him the painting for his birthday. Then he reached out to me and was like, dude, this is cool. I had no idea you were just upstairs. Let's be friends kind of thing. Um, same with the Sam key thing. It was just like this organic, like, build a friendship, build a mutual respect. And then it wasn't until uh, two years later, way after the Watchmen, which I also loved that he was working, started, he called me up and was like, Hey, I'm starting to work on this new project. It's brand new. There's nothing existing for it, but we have to announce it at Comic-Con. Can you just, can I tell you what the movie's about? And can you make something for it for Comic-Con in like a week? And I was like, I'm on it. Oh my God. So, wow. Yeah, yeah, yeah. That's awesome. Yeah. <laughs> wow. So that, that was where that came up. And then that was another one of those things that snowballed where it was like, I originally just got hired to create this one piece of promotional art and the logo. And then six months later, they got called back and were like, Hey, 
all the pre-production stuff is done. We used kind of your art as like this mood setting thing, but now I want to bring you back in and kind of help work with the rest of these teams on kind of catering this look to more of your style. So I got basically got hired to kind of punch up stuff and, and reform weapons and rework on robots. And it was crazy. Right. Yeah. Oh, that's so cool. And then I remember like when you and I had first started to become friends, uh, it was right when you were putting out the next movie that you worked on, which was digging up the morrow. Yes. Uh, how, how wild of it, how much of a difference was there between working on sucker punch and then working on that movie. I'd say about a, a crew of 250,000 less people. So the digging up the marrow thing was, was amazing. That was also an equally amazing experience because I've always wanted to be involved in cinema. I, I like, I love movies, specifically horror movies. Um, <clears throat> the digging up the marrow incident was, was something that came about out of, uh, uh, I'm going to pivot a little bit just to kind of give you a, a perspective on this. I, even while doing Sucker Punch, I was also still doing art shows. I had, I had kind of pivoted to doing more fine art gallery shows. And this was during the mid to late 2000s. I mean, I still am, but this during this time period. And this idea that I had, I wanted to create art shows that um, I remember going to see a retrospective of Star of the art of Star Wars and at the San Francisco History Museum or the MoMA or whatever it was. And it, what it was, was it was all the concept art from Star Wars. It was costumes. It was props. It was little notes here and there and just random, you know, evidence that Star Wars was a universe. And I remember being like, I want to make those as art shows for movies that don't exist yet. Right to kind of like right. maybe give the idea, maybe like I create this and then somebody goes, that should be a movie. And then I go, oh, really? It should? Okay, cool. Let's make it a movie. Um, <clears throat> so I did that. I started kind of catering these art shows out of different stories and different IPs. And one of the art shows that I did was I made this art show uh, called Digging Up the Marrow, which was revolved around... Um, it was basically my take on Nightbreed. It involved around this world that existed underneath our world where these rejected monsters were forced to go into hiding because they couldn't kind of survive out here without getting attacked or killed or whatever. So they went into hiding and kind of formed this, their own world. And uh, the Archo kind of revolved around this, this detective that was a conspiracy theorist that had a, a theory about this undiscovered world and was convinced that it existed and was convinced on exposing it, but then he went missing. So this art show that I did was all of these notes and drawings from this detective's point of view about this observations of this underground world. So um, I created that and basically my, my vision of like that idea of like, if I do this, somebody might want to make a movie out of it kind of came to fruition when I got approached by Adam Green, who had directed Hatchet and wrote and directed Hatchet and Frozen. And he called me up and said, I've been wanting to make a monster movie, like kind of a found footage monster movie. Uh, I didn't know what direction I wanted to go in it. But this, this, I saw your, your book that you put out for it. I saw the art show. I want to do this. And I was like, yeah, let's do it. <laughs> oh, that's awesome. Um, 
Oh, that's super cool. I didn't realize it was like, it was all based off this, this idea that you had. I, I, you know, I guess I just assumed that it was like, you know, you got approached with this idea and then you just created the monsters for it. But that's awesome that it was, it would all just like spawn from, from something you like an art show. That's incredible. Yeah, it was cool. And, and, um, and once again, it was, uh, this was a very, a very quick learning process. Um, but the thing that I learned, this is, it was very important for me at the beginnings of this, uh, Adam was kind of like a, a mentor to me in the beginning of this filmmaking process, because with the other film that I worked on, I was so far removed from anything. Like I got to go up and, and work on set a little bit, but it was like, I mean, like I was saying, there was thousands of people working. So I was very far removed from how things worked. And when Adam approached me, he was like, I want to make a very small film. We're going to fund it ourselves. It's going to be like 10 people crew tops and we're just going to do it. And I was like, he's like, I want you to design the monsters. I'm going to write it inspired by what you wrote. I'm going to direct it. And then we're going to go from there and we'll, we'll, I have a team that we're going to build the monsters and stuff. And I was like, okay, that's awesome. So what the important thing that I think he laid out for me in the beginning was he was like, I know that this is your property and your original story, but I, it's a small crew. And in order for this to work, I would like to take the reins of writing and directing it. And I would like you to focus on the visual aspect of it. The monsters working with the teams on designing those help build the sets, this and that. And that's your strength. This is my strength. This is how it's going to work. And I was like, I respect that. Cool. Right. Right. And at the end of the day, were you super stoked on how it all turned out? Yeah. I mean, the, the movie, I'm, I'm definitely stoked on, on how it turned out. Give it, it's, it's a different project than what I would have made, but the process of making it was, was so supportive. The, the team was all so supportive of each other and working with Ray Wise and being able to like basically like work with Greg Aronowitz and, and, uh, Robert Pendergraft on making these monsters and bringing them to life was such an incredible experience that like, I would have been happy if it was a 30 second film where you just flash things that I made and somebody died, but like to be able to get like an entire feature film and tour the country with it and go screen it for people and talk to people about their reactions. Like I'm, ex- I- I'm super, super happy with it. Do you have like a favorite, a favorite experience that you've between all these different things you've done? I mean, we, we've only touched on a, a, a speck of them. I mean, you've worked with Mondo, you've done so many different things at Comic-Con and, and you create all these different interesting things. Uh, do you have an experience that you look back on, either, even if it was working on an album cover or an album art in general that, that, you, uh, that you reflect on and just it's all just good memories? Uh, yeah, I think, uh, I mean, the Sucker Punch thing was by far like not only the biggest, but also like the most adrenaline pumping. So you know, there, there was some stress involved there, but just on a scale of things, like, I don't think I'll ever do anything like that big, that big again. I mean, maybe I will, who knows? It'd be awesome. I'm not going to not, I'm not <laughs> going to sure. not try, but as far as like a specific project, I think, um, working on Aesop rocks, the, the impossible kid, which was a, an album and a project that I worked on uh, a few years ago, maybe, I guess three years ago now was that I think had nothing but good memories because of, not only am I fr- good friends with Aesop Rock, but I really admire his creativity and his imagination and his talent. And he equally admires that and respects that. So when we sat down to finally work together on that project, like he basically was like, 
I know how comfortable you are when you just do your thing. So I want you to just do this and you tell me. And if I have, if I have a problem with it, I'll tell you, but only if I have a problem with it, I want you to do your thing. And that was just like the whole process was nothing but excitement from his end until the day it came out. So that was awesome. Ah, that's very cool. Well, hell yeah. Thank you so much for your time, Alex. This is, this yeah, has been a lot of fun. Thanks for letting I, me thanks ramble. For... I know I, 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 I tend to jump around and talk a lot and, and be like, Oh, I'm, I'm so old. I have all these old stories, but it's no, it's great. It's, it's great. It's great. I, I appreciated all of it. It was a really fun chat. It's, you know, I've been saying this to so many of the guests that, you know, I'm lucky enough to call friends, but like, it's, it's enjoyable for me to hear things that I wasn't aware of, of people that I know personally, yeah. you know? So this has been, a, this has been a total blast. Awesome. Thank Thanks, you. Man. Well, next time I'm going to interview you. So get ready. Perfect. <laughs> <laughs> all right, man. Well, thank all you right, guys cool, so man. much. All right. All right. Thanks, man. Well, there it is. Thanks so much for listening. If you enjoyed this podcast, if you'd like to help support the podcast, please share it with your friends, post about it on social media, or leave a rating and review on the Apple Podcast page to help the show just kind of get more visible to other listeners. Uh, this is a new project, as I mentioned, so I'm really grateful to be able to share these conversations going forward. So anything you can do to help spread the word is a huge, huge help. Uh, thanks again, and I'll catch you on the next episode. Thank you so much. Bye-bye.